for those that have followed my journey, they know how important meditation has been for me in transforming the way I go about the things that I do. And it really wasn't until I started meditating for up to an hour was when a big shift started to happen. And I know for a lot of people who meditate, you know, an hour seems like a long time. And I really believe to really get the true benefits out of meditation, you need to sit for an extended period more than your regular 20 minutes that most people do. Now, the biggest challenge for most people I've realized is getting past that first phase, which is quietening the mind enough so that you can truly experience the benefits of meditation. And for me, those benefits are connecting with just pure oneness, a place of pure love, an energy that fuels you, that stays with you throughout your whole day and actually changes everything. You start to change your reality when you start to tap in and tune into this energy. For me, it started. It took an hour to connect with it. Sometimes it takes two hours. But the biggest challenge for most people was quieting the mind. Uh, so that's why I've gone ahead and decided to create a free guide to quietening the mind. Uh, and you can get access to this free guide either on the podcast page where you're listening to this episode or if you just type state-shifters.com, there'll be a pop-up to come up where you can download that free guide. And it'll help you get access to these amazing benefits meditation can offer. Hello, welcome back to the Stage Shifters podcast. In this episode, I've got a really interesting interview with uh, Matt Belair. Uh, Matt, I connected with Matt online. I was um, scouring online for, for for interesting topics relating to the stuff that I was into, expanding consciousness and tuning into altered states of awareness. And I stumbled across Matt's podcast and really was interested in the guests that he had on. And I decided to reach out to him and drop him an email and see if he wanted to come into the show. And lucky enough for me, he we managed to arrange a time to connect and we, we jumped online and did an interview. We got to record the video for this one as well. So if anyone wants to watch the video of the interview, um, Matt and I chatted via Skype. You can I'll put that on the podcast page too or you can search uh, State Shifters in YouTube. Uh, this conversation was just so interesting. We covered such a, such a broad range of topics and a lot of the stuff we discussed, I feel... Uh, if you start to implement the stuff we discussed in this podcast, uh, you're going to notice some pretty drastic changes start happening in your life. Uh, you're going to start to tune into higher states of awareness. Uh, you're going to start to notice the way you do perform your activities. You're going to integrate the mind, body and soul. And for me, that's the essence of living a, a full and rich life is living from a place of wholeness, not separating the body from the mind incorporating spiritual practices that are going to ensure that you understand what is purposeful for you because everyone has their own different a different definition of a life well lived and in this episode Matt really digs into the the core principles of understanding what it means to live a fulfilling and purposeful life so uh, really looking forward to sharing this one so I hope you guys enjoy all right Matt Belair welcome to the state shifters podcast my friend how are you uh- I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on the show. Oh, my pleasure. It's been uh, we've been trying to arrange this for a while. You're a busy man. You're traveling around, and I'm very grateful for you to take the time out and and join me and have a quick chat. Um, before we get started, man, where have you been traveling? You've just got back from a few a few big trips. What have you been doing? 
Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate the invite on the show for sure. And yeah, it's been a little bit hectic. Um, I was in Maine and I uh, spent the summer studying with a Native American elder of the Mi'kmaq. Um, and the fascinating thing, you know, most people think about Native Americans and being like of the land and like bows and arrows and stuff like that. Uh, he was taught by over 600 elders for the first 26 years of his life. And this included chemistry, uh, physics, engineering, Damn. biology. He has the world record for putting balloons into space. He made a three-pole magnet, which is, I guess, the precursor to anti-gravity. Um, and so I went out. I went out. I met him like a year and a half ago, and he was like um, saying these stories. And I look, I look for like the world leaders in consciousness and spirituality. Like if Nikola Tesla's here, I'm going to find him. If Buddha <laughs> is here, I'm going to find him. If Bruce Lee is here, I'm going to go hang out with him, see if he wants to hang out and if I can learn from him. And so when I met this elder, he was like, "Have you ever read the uh, autobiography of a yogi before?" No, I haven't. Yeah, I might have to add that to the list. Yeah, it's a, it's a good book. Steve Jobs actually gave it to all of his employees. And it's basically about a yogi's life, about this young man who wants to be a yogi. And, it, and, and it's, it's about Yogananda and he goes through his life. And when you read the book, it's like normal stuff. He's a kid. He wants to be a yogi. He's dealing with family life. Then in his teens, he finds a teacher and his parents aren't so stoked on it. He starts training with his teacher. Um, he does that for a few years and then some sort of crazy thing happens to him. And he writes about this crazy, crazy yeah. thing. And then life keeps going and he goes through university and it's challenging and like it's really hard and he's just dealing with life and all this stuff that's got to come up and then a few years later another just absolutely mind-blowing thing happens and so that's kind of how the book progresses about this man's life wanting to be a yogi and and weaving in like the challenges of everyday life and then oh my goodness like this absolutely unbelievable thing like a palace materializing in front of one of his masters you know out of nowhere in the middle of the himalayas yeah, right. you know stuff that's just not possible so the the native american was like that as well and so i was like <laughs> i was like i watched him talk at a gem and jam festival in tucson a year and a half ago and I was like, I went up to them right after because they said they needed help. I was like, are you guys like being serious with this stuff? They're like, yeah, we're dead serious. I was like, okay. So I watched him talk again. And then I had him on my podcast. And he, for three and a half hours, he's on my podcast. It's the first ever podcast he's done. Um, he's only been te teaching or sharing with the non-natives for five years. Wow. And so at the end of it, I was like, are you being genuine? He's just like, yeah, these are all real stories. He's like, oh my God. Um, so I went out to see him. He's like, if you come to see me, I'll show you more. And, you know, there's a lot of things that definitely make me believe he's genuine, um, including vetting his math. My friend Robert Grant was on my podcast. Yeah. I met him in Egypt with the Resonant Science Foundation. I went to Egypt uh, last year with the Resonant Science Foundation and Robert Grant was on that trip. And uh, he basically did a presentation. His company's on the New York Stock Exchange. He's a big, big time business guy. But he, he recently made these major mathematical breakthroughs. Um, and you can find this on my podcast if you just search Robert Grant. And he also made these big discoveries in the pyramid, like a major discovery Damn. in the pyramid recently. And so I had Robert look at this Native American elder's math because math, you can't lie. Yeah, right. Right? Math yeah. is math. Of course. And so when they were talking math, you know, at the end of it, it was like it was basically easy for David. Like he knew – like the elder, he knew it all. He was just like, yep. Holy you know, I, I, shit. I, yeah. So, so <laughs> I went out. So I checked them out how I could. I also had a meet with the Zuni elder. But one of the weird things are the things that I knew is for real. He has nunchucks in his house 
And so I start grabbing the nunchucks because I'm a martial artist and I'm like, okay with them. Like it, like, okay at best, you yeah, know, like yeah, maybe yeah. like a six out of 10, I can fling them around <laughs> and kind of look like I know what I'm doing, but I really don't, <laughs> uh, you know, just pretending to be Bruce Lee as a kid. But then he's like, here, let me see those things. And he grabs the nunchucks and he looks like Bruce friggin Lee. Um, a few days later, I see him with a staff, and I trained in China with 34th generation Shaolin masters, kung fu masters, that were literally living ninjas. They could break stone um, over their head, over their fingers, with their like they were nuts. Um, and so that's what he looked like with a staff, and he also had a lead ball on the end of a rope. And uh, could fling that around, and he looked like uh, like ninja assassin. If you ever watched that movie, but there's a there's a ninja weapon that's on a rope. Yeah. And uh, so that was part of the training. So that was another like little piece of like I think this guy's honest. Legit. Like, I, yeah. Yeah, this guy's legit. So that was that was the summer. So I spent all summer with a Native American elder, uh, learning basically what he calls what he was taught from his elders as the star teachings, and um, and then after that I went to Burning Man. And that's when we're, we're trying to connect. So I'm trying to do my podcast, study with this Native American elder, travel with him, support him because he's he's basically in poverty. He's like, I was to, I was asked to come here by my elders. There's certain rules for me, like sharing this information. Mm-hmm. I'm not allowed to ask for money. Um, and he's been doing it for five years and it's been extremely challenging for him because it's like that his world and our world are two separate things. And he has advanced engineering. He's in, you can look up the biodome. You can mm. look up his balloons he put into space where he's using the information from these ancient copper scrolls. And he's like, I have technology that I'll give to you guys. I'll give the teachings, but it has to be put into peaceful community. You can't own it, and it has to be for all people. It has to be for all of the civilization. And one of them is this uh, uh, an energy device that harvests the wind called a resonator. And he's like, I have the schematics for it, but I just need the time and the resources to build it. Shit, man. <laughs> so that's what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, just a so, casual summer in uh, Matt Bellair's yeah. life, you know? <laughs> so as as, it, <laughs> as the listeners and viewers have probably realized, Matt is a very fascinating man. He's done a lot of cool shit. Um, just to touch on some of the stuff, man, like you mentioned, you've been training with Shaolin monks in China. You have climbed Everest. You have... You have a background in martial arts. You, you're a Zen athlete, man. That's a pretty cool uh, synopsis. Give me a because you've got a podcast. You've got the Mind Body Spirit podcast, which is very is doing very well. We've got some amazing guests on there, as you've just alluded to. Do you mind giving people a quick summary of like how you've got to where you are now? How this all start? Oh man, well, um. Hmm. Well, the, the easiest way that I phrase it is like I was always curious. So mm. the second, you know, that I existed, I loved martial arts mm. and my dad was a martial artist and I was just curious what I was capable of, human potential, my potential. And martial arts is really the exploration of mind, body, spirit, where mm. you need to train the mind, you need to train the body. Um, and that's like that spiritual under that leads to spiritual understanding. Mm. And so I was doing this at a young age and just kept pursuing that and was always interested interested in that. And then growing up, I loved sports. So I was playing hockey. Then I got into skateboarding and I began to apply what I knew from martial arts into skateboarding. And I got really good when I was younger. Um, then my teenage years was lots of fun with my friends, but still learning things like, uh, um, you know, I was doing studying hypnosis in my teenage years, lucid dreaming, astral projection, reading books on consciousness, um, Zen enlightenment. I wanted to be enlightened. I didn't know mm. what that meant. I was like, yeah, I want, why not? Like, you know, what's the, pr- premium consciousness. Mm. Um, you know, what, what, you know, what, 
what is the limit to this body, to this mind, to this experience? And so just kept pursuing that, um, then ended up in Whistler and just kept, kept doing that, that kind of thing while snowboarding. Cause I knew I wanted to snowboard. Got a question? Yeah. I'll, I'm, yeah, you read my mind there. Cool. Uh, I'm curious, <laughs> how did you, at such an early age, how are these questions servicing so young? Was it your parents that were kind of giving you this, um, this inquisitiveness into life? Yeah, I think, you know, I've, I've been asked it a few times and it was actually on my podcast when I started podcasting people that I realized that most people have a quote unquote awakening experience or mm. a traumatic experience. So a lot of time, like through disease or a loss of a job, uh, illness, those are the common ones and people have this and it wakes them up. Yeah. Um, I was just naturally like this, whatever that meant. I was just curious about mm. this stuff from the beginning. And so I just pursued it. It was like if you have an interest in basketball or um, art, you know what I mean? I, ju I just think that my interest is is more rare because like, yeah, I can remember at a young age looking at news and being like, this is this is like they're lying to you. Legit. This is horse crap. Like, how do you know mm. that? Uh, like, how do you not know that? And um, the other one was war. And it really bothered me. And I was like, how am I sitting here in Canada and nobody is talking about war? And I'm also looking at these uh, starving people in Africa. Like, can't we as a species, um, the Western culture and, the, and and everything else, like how do we solve this? Why is, why is this not a high priority for the species to solve? Mm. You know, why am I, why, hmm. and it, and it just blew my mind. And so then I, then I went down the conspiracy rabbit hole and all that kind of fun stuff. And, you know, <laughs> I went way down there. And so I don't know, I don't know what I learned that's true or not true. Um, but I do believe that there are corporate interests that do, uh, manipulate a lot of things. And I do believe that this world is set up for you to have a rough time to mm. fail. Like, like I studied law in school, um, you know, and it, like what I learned about that is just like, okay, like this is really corrupt. They have a different language, you know? And mm. when you go, when you, um, you know, open the, when you approach the judge, it's like boarding a ship. Like it, it's maritime sea law in Canada, U.S., um, Europe, I think Australia as well too. So you're boarding the ship and yeah. and it always has to do with a banker. There's always a debt to a banker. And so I'm just like, this doesn't make any sense. Um, and so why are there so many systems in place um, to suppress us? And, and the main one that I understood the most was uh, persuasion and because uh, I wanted to know what I was capable of and that led into like programming my own mind, my subconscious, understanding that. Mm -hmm. Then I learned mass persuasion and how that works and those techniques. And we're basically being bombarded every single day through these different programming techniques. That's why they call TV programming. Right. That's why if you listen to music, um, if I say and you're listening to this, don't imagine a purple hippopotamus <laughs> that's a mini unicorn. You know, you're going to start to imagine yeah, that. Or right. if I don't yeah. think about uh, the American flag, do not picture the American flag. You have to do it to make sense mm -hmm. of what's being said. And so persuasion is a very important thing. And, and I'd invite people to take a look at the work of Darren Brown because it's very uh, fun to watch. And mm -hmm. you see he pushes the limits of of what your, you know, what you think you're thinking, you think you're conscious and you think you're aware and you're like, oh my God, like maybe I'm not. And like, what about groups of people? Um, you know, then you get into kind of magic and that's what's happening. The, the world is in a little bit of a state of mass hypnosis through mass programming mm. that's done to me on purpose. And so it's not like it's got to be evil and we need to be afraid of it. It's just once you become aware, then you can start to program your own stuff. Like, you know, there's presuppositions. So people presuppose that you're supposed to work 40 hours a week I'm going to get two weeks off a year. I remember that thought specifically hanging out um, on my buddy's trampoline, my best friend, and being like, guys, 
that's completely effed yeah. up. I'm never you know, thinking you guys that. All well. signing up, like two weeks off, you get two days off a week of the seven days that this time yeah. structure that they give, and you're just going to allow that. Like, the, mm. you got, if anybody, and my always, my other thought too that most people didn't have was if somebody else can do it, I can do it. If there is a way to figure out not doing that thing that I definitely don't want to do, I'll figure it out. And I, um, you know, I, I definitely, I know I don't want to sign up for that. Like, that's mm. not fair. <laughs> in what world is that fair you know what, what kind of design is that that's messed up yeah man I, and now i think now the, the beautiful thing that you're doing is you're now making it your mission to help other people kind of figure out um their potential tap into their their, their full potential uh, and not settle for that mediocrity that, that you mentioned which is settling for that 40 hour week we only get three out three weeks leave a year and People lose lose sight of their uniqueness, and it's like it's clear that you've uncovered your uniqueness at such an early age and followed that. How has that culminated now in the work that you do in helping others find their uniqueness? Um. Well, I think for me, it's just that personal exploration of what my joy and passion was. Mm. You know, when I when I went to snowboard in Whistler, everybody was still in university. Uh, you know, the, the way in the path, you know, and I wanted to snowboard and I got really good at snowboarding and I kept learning about the things that I enjoyed and I became, a, you know, an international snowboard coach and I started to train people in the mindset and the mind game because I was so shocked at how these athletes didn't know this stuff. Mm. You know, they're going over these 60, 80 foot jumps doing, you know, backflips and all kinds of craziness. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> I was like, and then they didn't know this stuff and the training for snowboarding at the time was not very good. Um, so I kept exploring there and then I wanted to travel the world and learn from that. When I want to learn something, I want to learn from the best. Mm. So that's why I went to go train with 34th generation Shaolin masters. Um, cause these guys are like the best martial artists on the planet that can do things that are supposed to be not possible. You're not supposed to be able to smash a brick. You're not supposed to be able to break iron over your head. Mm. You're not supposed to be able to do those things. Um, and then I also meditated with monks because I wanted to be enlightened. So I figured I'd go to um, Tibet, yeah. you know, mm. and, and, and get enlightenment there. But Tibet is still occupied by China, which I did not realize and is still true right now. It's still uh. occupied by China. So there's a bunch of horse crap going on <laughs> in that situation. Um, so for me, it was just, what do, who am I? What do I want to explore while I'm alive? What kind of life mm. do I want? And in doing those things and exploring what I was curious about, what I'm passionate about, um, I was able to share what I learned and what I felt was valuable and what, what I thought you could apply to your life. And because I had a sports background and I was teaching, you know, snowboarders, how to use their mind. I was like, well, this should, this, all athletes need this. And so that's where I came up with writings an athlete, which was basically just, um, um, taking all the best and most useful techniques for peak performance, for personal development, um, and for mindset and for peace, like inner peace and development mm. in all sports. So when you put your kid in martial arts, it's to develop mind, body, and spirit, respect for self, to see what you're capable of, to push your potential, to be kind to your uh, teammates and your other martial artists, to respect your teacher, to respect your family and community. These are all great traits and they can be um, used in any sport. And the thing is about martial arts and extreme sports is we don't have the uh, luxury of failure. Mm. You know, there's one athlete that I was coaching, his name is um, Brody Carmichael, and he fell on a front flip on his motorcycle. And he goes, Hey, man, um, I, 
I heard about you from my friend Pat, who's also in Nitro Circus. I heard you're good. I fell on a front flip, and I want to be able to land that. And I was like, okay, cool. So we chat for an hour, and I was like, and I kind of tune up a couple things, but his mental game is real strong. And I was like, dude, you just really got to, you don't have to read the book. You don't have to do any of these other things. Just make a guided visualization visualize that front flip every single day for a week and I'll take you about a week and you'll know you can land it, then go land it. Um, and so three weeks later, he lands the front flip because uh, it was in the next competition. He had the opportunity. Uh, three weeks after that, the world's first front flip heel clicker on a motorcycle. Uh, three weeks after that, the world's first front flip Superman on a motorcycle and he didn't practice it one time. And the thing about extreme sports is we don't have the luxury of failure. Mm. He doesn't have that. He could die literally mm paralyzed, whatever. So he has to do these peak performance techniques that nobody will do because they don't have that necessity in the same way where people who get diagnosed with a terminal illness all of a sudden have a miraculous healing doing all this hippie stuff that people think is just hippy dippy, but then something happens and like, oh my God, because now they're forced to apply these techniques and principles. So if you take the Zen athlete and put Zen music, uh, Zen soccer, Zen life, it doesn't matter. It's how do you pick an idea that matters to you? How do you build the mindset and the architecture in your mind to give yourself the best opportunity to to create that success. You believe you can, you, you believe you can't. The mind can actually be programmed through consciousness and there's ways to program your mind. Um, so you apply those. And um, how do you do it from a state of fulfillment from wherever you are in the process? So whether it's building a business, learning piano, landing a double backflip, it doesn't matter. Enjoy the process from a state of fulfillment as you pursue that goal. And the people that I've worked with in business with this have leveled up so far beyond their competition because of two things. Number one, just because you're in business doesn't mean you need to be stressed out all the friggin' time. That's a, you know, that's a silly concept. Let's get to the state of like, let's just be cool with where we are now. Yeah. Um, so you're more aligned. It's not about more money, right? Success doesn't mean more money. It means like peace and balance and understanding what's important to you. But then when you add in, okay, this is what I need, you're able to get it real quick because you apply those principles that no one else is applying because now there, it's not, there's a necessity. You're, you have to draw the, the, um, you have to give the evidence that it works enough and through sport is it's a good gateway. And so to draw the conclusion of this, if we can empower all kids and youth with this idea that it'll trick them into learning self mastery, um, through sport and that's kind of the idea. If you're an adult, you can read it and you'll, you'll, it's the best that I've learned in self mastery from a lot, you know, from my pursuits. Um, and it'll work, but ideally we get this into the kids and they can, they'll build whatever the heck they want. hundred percent, man. I absolutely love that. I think that's why your background resonated with me so much was because I had a sporting background as well. Grew up playing soccer and cricket. We play cricket in Australia. It's like the baseball of America and Canada. But I grew up playing sport same principle, man. I was working on, on the physical component uh, so much that it wasn't until later on in my career in, in soccer that I started working on the, on the mental aspect, the, the visualization, the, the, the preparing mentally for a game. And when, the minute I started doing that, it was like just exponential performance results. Um, and it's that direct feedback you get in the sporting field. Like That's why I'm intrigued by the extreme sports because it's very different. The, the direct feedback is either you fucking live or die. That's nuts, man. In soccer, it's like, yeah, you might get another shot on the training ground on the next week. But extreme sports, that's that's crazy. How like that's why I'm I'm a little mind blown by that. When you're trying to teach, train an elite athlete to visualize something that's never been done before, 
that's that's cool. That must be very fulfilling to see someone accomplish that. So yeah, I'm with you on that. I think sports has such a can play such a big impact on teaching the on kids, especially these fundamental lessons physically and most importantly mentally at a young age. So you're working with kids at the moment. Is that something that you, you help them through at, at like a grassroots level? Uh, I would like to do more mm. of that, to be honest. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of the, the the structures in my time doing the podcast is, is taken over, but I definitely uh, hope to, I try to get um, the book in the hands of as many coaches, as many teachers um, as possible so that they can, they can, you know, bring it into their organizations and things like that. So I'm always open to those opportunities. I just, because I'm traveling and exploring so much, I can't, I can only do so much one-on-one. Um, but as many coaches and teachers, uh, there's actually a, a teacher, I forget where he is. I think he's somewhere in Florida, but he bought like 30 books for, for the students. And he's mm. doing a test right now. He's a yogi and a high level swimmer and he's implemented it into his classroom. And so, he, you know, he loves the idea and he's going to be kind of like the case study of bringing that into schools and to put it really simply, you know, if I had to teach it to like a grade one or grade two, um, you just imagine teaching them a basketball shot. Mm. So first step one is to clear your mind, take three deep breaths, a person who can clear their mind and someone who cannot, that's a fundamental shift in consciousness and the quality of your consciousness mm. and also your free will on this planet. It's a huge, huge shift Two, visualize the shot going in. This teaches them that they influence their reality. They they don't create everything, but they can influence it through how they think and through visualization. And the third part is you miss the shot. What's the most powerful and positive perspective you, you can have in that situation? So that shows that you don't always get, get the result, mm. but you get to choose how you respond to what happens, and that's where your power lies. So those three things are three fundamental shifts in consciousness that are extremely powerful and allow for a, a massive upgrade in your uh, personal freedom and what you can do in this planet. Mm. I, man, I love that because you can use it for sport, but most importantly, it, that's life as well. Do you know what I mean? That is the exact same yeah. principle that applies to life, which which was clicked in my head after I started using it for, for soccer. I was like, wait a second, this is the exact same stuff that I'm using for my career, for relationships. It's all it's all applicable across the board. So, mate, fuck, that's cool. That's really cool. Exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's business, dance. Yeah. You know. Same principle. It has, it's mm-hmm. the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, in the book, run me through some of like the the principles you go about in the book. Like, what what are the techniques? Do you start off with like meditation? Do you start off with stilling the mind? Is is it that that process you said? Still the mind, visualize, and then response. Yeah. So, you know, what I, what I put together for, so it was easy for people to understand what I call like a, you know, a Zen performance model where these like little keys from, from each thing for self mastery. So, you know, it, it kind of starts off with belief, you know, your belief systems, um, dedication, you got to give yourself an idea. Like if, if you want to be a good snowboarder or a great snowboarder, do you want to be a tennis player or do you want to be Olympic tennis player? And so, you know, it's understanding dedication. So um, the performance models, dedication, focus, meditation, visualization, belief, simulation, fitness and nutrition and goal setting. And at the center of it is Zen. And that's basically the, you know, your philosophy as you move through. And as you take each of these spokes and you apply them, the more of them are in synergy and harmony and activated, the better overall result you're going to get. So I think that, you know, a really important key for people is just the belief 
belief programming. You know, if we just talk about that, so uh, really simple. NLP is neuro-linguistic programming. It's a great uh, book. It's a great. It's, it's more than a book. It's like a. It's, it's a course. Full on. Yeah. It's a course. It's a philosophy, and mm-hmm. it's really smart. It teaches you how to program your mind. And so, you know, if you think about. Um, you know, the greatest entrepreneur on the planet, um, you could say Richard Branson or somebody like that, or the greatest musician or somebody you're aspiring to be, you can do an assessment on them and you say, okay, what does that person believe? You know, that's neuro. What do they, what do they believe? And you write, elicit all their beliefs, uh, linguistic, what do they talk? How do they say, what words do they use? You write all that down and programming, what are their habits? And you can kind of do a case study on these people that you're aspiring to be, and you can make your own uh, archetype. You're like, these are the characters. These are the traits. These are the practices. These are the philosophies of somebody who has achieved what I'm moving towards. And then once you identify those, you flip it around and you code it into your consciousness Hmm. through simple hypnosis. Hypnosis is super simple. All hypnosis is, is you can't quiet your mind probably. That's it. So all you do is a guided visualization exactly. to quiet your mind. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Um, you can do tense and relax. It doesn't matter. Yeah. The idea is that you got to quiet the mind first because you're thinking about groceries, what you're stressed out about, your limiting beliefs, all that kind of stuff. So once you know the person you're going, it's like, okay, um, Matt, you know, whether it's snowboarding or podcasting or entrepreneurship, you can say, you know, uh, I love entrepreneurship, you know, business comes easily and natural to me. I make the connections I need to move my business forward. Um, I find, um, opportunity and challenge, just things like that. Cause you elicit the responses you're going to need in the same way that in martial arts, you go into a ring. And if I'm fighting somebody who doesn't fight the second that I hit them, they make these weird reactions. Sometimes they get angry. Sometimes they cower. Sometimes they do stupid things. It doesn't matter. They're just not used to it. But a high level martial artist won't react emotionally. Right. There's a different thing. You have to be at a higher level. And so when you're conditioning yourself through your belief system, the responses that are going to come in business, you're going to get some responses that are challenging. So you can literally code yourself and that's how you get to where you want to go. It's not that it's easy. Nobody who was successful had an Mm. easy road. They responded to the challenge that they had in an empowering fashion. So once you're able to silence your mind and you've identified the the – the person that you want to emulate their skill set, that whoever's the high performer you're looking at, you're saying silence the mind and then essentially code in those belief systems that they've acquired through what? Visualizing yourself stepping into that that highest, higher version of yourself? Like in the hypnosis part, what are you doing there? Yeah, it's a good question. So you can keep it really simple where, um, you know, would be like each belief. So like around bit, like what beliefs would you need to be good at business? What beliefs would you need to have to be a good snowboarder or skateboarder? Right. So when I do for skateboarding or an athlete, it's like skateboarding comes easily and naturally to you. You can land any trick at Mm -hmm. any time, you know, you enjoy it. So you have to just take the time to, to figure out what are the belief systems that are going to give you the most empowering, um, thought process for achieving your goal, right? If you Mm -hmm. think, um, oh, every time there's a, a challenge, I fail and I'm miserable and I'm not good enough not going to work. So you just co. So what you do is just give yourself a guided visualization. So I have on Zen athlete and you can find them online too. just yeah. relaxation tapes, do that and then grab a tape recorder and just imagine that person that you're creating for yourself. Who do you want to be? What person would you need to create? So I'll be like, okay, for Matt, right? So now I'm on the podcast, I'm traveling the world. And this is all actually in all of my journals. Yeah. And some of them were like, you're traveling the world. 
you're traveling the world, you're learning from uh, humanity's greatest leaders and, and uh, uh, philosophers and uh, spiritual leaders. You know, you're around the most incredible people who are making the biggest difference on the planet. And I'm just imagining myself being in the environments um, that I need to be in. And so it can be the thing that I, the environments that I want to be in and then the belief systems that I also need. You know what I mean? I always have enough resources to get to where I need to go, uh, that kind of thing. And so once you do one, you just get better and better as you do it because you've uncovered the process, then you, then you listen to it back mm. and then you just, you can then refine the process. So everybody's goal will be different and it doesn't matter what it is, it works the same way. So with Brody Carmichael doing the front flip, it was mm. very specific, uh, easy because it was very specific. Right. Front flip, hmm. right? I have all the confidence to do a front flip. Uh, front flips come easy to me. I land every front flip every time. I'm excited at the thought of doing the world's first front flip. That idea. Damn, I, I love that. That is, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to use that. That's that's actually amazing. What about like doing that, least just listening to that before you fall asleep at night? That's another way oh, of yep, sort of- yep. 100%. Yep. So you, then seeds. you can take your, yeah, it's a really good, yeah. it's a really good thought. Um, take your affirmations or your, your, you know, I am's or whatever, mm. and then just play that. And, you know, so, yeah. you know, I am abundant money flows to me easily. Um, I am confident, you know, I believe in myself. I, uh, am kind and supportive to myself. That's a big one. People don't understand. Hmm. You know, when I do, when I do coaching for people, it usually comes down to like, uh, three universal fears. And, and it's like, uh, fear of not being good enough, not being loved and being abandoned. And all people have those. And that's from my Greg Braden. And that's what it gets down to. And that will self-sabotage you. So getting to the, to the point of making a firm commitment to being, uh, a kind supporter of yourself because in the world that we live in, nothing is ever enough, especially for ourselves. We're our worst critics and getting to like a point, if you can get to a point where you actually have quality kindness to yourself, kindness and real self-love and self-esteem, you are kicking butt. And that's really good. And I've worked with adults, uh, multimillionaires, athletes, everything. We all struggle with it. No, myself included. No one is, I've met a, a handful. I can count them on one hand that I yeah. know that they genuinely love themselves and it's legit <laughs> and they're for real yeah. and they didn't have to do anything. You know, they had to work their way there, but they actually are unable to do it. But most people are like, yeah, man, I'm working on it. Some days I'm great to myself and others like I'm just a total a-hole to myself. Oh, mate. What practices do you have to ensure that that self love component is always is always there? Because yeah, I'm the same. Like it's it's always a struggle to to go easy on yourself sometimes. Like we're we're our own worst critic, like you said. But there must be some practices that you implement in your day that kind of ensure that you're yeah, aware of the times that that you are being excessively critiquing your own responses. Is that is that the way you'd put it? Yeah, that's a, it's a mm. really good question mm. as well. Um, so one of the things that I'll do for the clients that I work with a lot of the time is, um, so the law of attraction is pretty simple. Whatever you give your attention, energy, and focus to, you get more of, right? So the biggest thing, and one of my mentors, Michael Lozier, who wrote the book on the law of attraction, there's many book. His book is the best book. Read that book. Cool. It takes like an okay. hour and a half. It's based on NLP. It's how to use it. Sick. You know, it takes an hour and a half to read and I still use those techniques today because it's the best, most effective techniques. You know, that's what I research and use. You know, is it meditation? I don't know. Is it binaural beats? Mm. Is it float tanks? I do all of it. Is it training mm. with Shaolin monks? I don't know. I'll go try it out. Is it a Native American elder? I don't know. I'm going to freaking fly down to Maine and figure this thing out. Oh my God. You know, um, um, so crap what were we talking about I got sidetracked by that the self-love practices so like again like you said it's, it's important to find oh, yes. what works for you yeah essentially yeah, yeah. so 
So the main thing is we're, we're crap to ourselves. Mm. So the idea is to catch it, nip it in the mm. butt. So the way that your mind works is kind of, you have this big neural net of that says, I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough, you know, but all the stuff that comes mm. up. Right. And then it takes one tiny thing. Somebody honks at you and all of a sudden you've, you're, <laughs> you're down this neural slide of this, you know, beating the crap out of yourself. And yeah. all of a sudden you're the biggest loser ever by the time you get to work. Um, and that's how the neural connections work because they're fear and they're, you know, they're fear-based and they're also looking for threat, right? That's how our reticular, I think it's, somebody was telling me about this the other day. I don't know if this is exactly right, but something like the reticular activating system is on looking for threats in our environment. Mm. That's how our biology works. Mm. That's how we're made. So when you have that limitation, it's firing all those things of threats yeah. and you not being good enough is like kind of that threat to your environment, not being worthy to be in your environment type of deal. And so the idea is you just got to catch it. That's awareness. Now, once you have awareness to catch that, you can control your emotional state and you can look at like, oh, is this thing that's just running a pattern? I've just run a limiting pattern. So you stop mm. and you recognize it. Okay. Oh, I'm being terrible to myself or I'm down this fear spiral. You know what I mean? Like, oh, how am I going to pay my bills? This and that, right? Mm. You, worry doesn't help. You know what I mean? You can do action steps. It's okay, cool. I've assessed that I need to pay my bills. What are my action steps? Right. Then you stop it and say, so what do I want? So if I don't want to be worried about my pills, I want to find a solution to pay my bills. If I don't want to feel like I'm the biggest loser on the planet, I want to make the commitment to be as kind and supportive to myself as possible um, and know that I am good enough to be here now with everybody else because we're all the friggin' same anyways. So by nipping in the butt, but this is what you got to do. You need a bracelet on one hand. And so what it does is it takes that neurology, the way your brain works in those synapses, and now it's out of the mind and onto the body. Now we have something physical. So then you grab the bracelet, you bring it to the other side, you say, this, so what do I want? You say it out loud, do whatever you got to do. It doesn't matter, but you're catching it. Now you're now rather than going on this neural slide into all the crap and the limitation and the baloney that your mind does to you, you stop it, nip it in the butt um, and, and, and change it to, so what do you want? So you actually Each use a bracelet? Time. You actually have a bracelet? Yeah, some sort of physical thing because right. it's got to get out of the mind. It has to be a physical thing because now you're breaking the synapses and you're coding new uh, neural connections. Yeah. And then what happens through neural pruning is that when those ones aren't being used anymore, you create a new neural map and that old one of you being a piece of crap and not good enough starts to fade away. And you literally through your own consciousness to begin to build the identity that you want. Not to attach the identity and go all Zen monk on mm. you, but the idea is more in a more powering belief system, a more powering unconscious. And you can only do that through uh, your programming. Another thing you can do is journaling, figuring mm. out what your values are. And so my main thing is like, to be honest, man, like a lot of times I feel like I'm a piece of crap and I'm not good <laughs> enough. And, you know, my podcast sucks and I'm a loser and <laughs> all that fun stuff. Like, you know, like we, all, like, we all think, yeah. Yeah, one of my classic ones I like to do is like when I get overwhelmed, I just lie face down in the kitchen floor and I'm just like, I can't do anything. There's too much work. I can't do this. Um, but what keeps me motivated is this underlying feeling and knowing within myself that I'm doing something that I'm passionate about and that I'm proud of. Mm. You know, and it might not be perfect and I might not be the best at it and I might have all these limitations, but I know that I'm designing a life and I'm thinking about it. So journaling, what are my values? What do I want to experience on this planet? What do I want to learn? How do I want to help others? How can I make a positive in cap, um, uh, impact? And so, you know, I think one of the main keys to quote unquote enlightenment is not what is, is that understanding of not what can I get, but how can I help? What can I give? How mm. can I support? Um, so I think that's a really 
important element. And if you're stuck in the what can I get, I think you can only really get so far as the level of consciousness goes. Yeah, agreed. And another thing that you, that you touched on with the journaling aspect is, is a lot of people don't actually ask for what they want. Uh, that's something that I've actually realized recently is like I haven't been asking uh, for what, what do I actually want? What am I passionate about? What, what do I want to do? Who do I want to serve today? Literally asking that question either before my meditation or in my journaling afterwards and then, and then just allowing myself to write. I think I found that to be very helpful for me recently, just, just journaling and writing whatever comes through. In, in, after a meditation in uh, in particular because that's when you kind of you open up that 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 flow to come through um and that's that's helped me so much so like journaling is something i've discovered uh recently to be very powerful in that in like like you've just said is your journaling exercise every morning or is that something you do before you go to bed uh well you could do that it doesn't matter i just yeah. journal you know yeah. and 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 please understand that if you're not journaling, it's probably the most powerful practice you can do. It's not to write anything epic. What you're doing is you're taking out all of these ideas and you're bringing them out onto paper. Um, and when I studied with this Native American elder, he was really big on journaling. And he also, he's a sagin, which is a seer and hearer and of spirit. And he was also like the spiritual mm. Person, I'm not wording it very well. The spiritual person <laughs> to the tribe, people know him. He rep- represents 39 councils, and so he's like their advisor. And he's like, in in our philosophy, you have two spirit guides, a positive and a negative, not to be mistaken with good and bad. The reason why you have a positive and a negative is because your body is the ground in this mm. simulation. And he hmm. used the word simulation. He's <laughs> cool. like, you need to run. He's like, he's like, my elders taught me. And he's like, if you look at your good f- physicist, there's only one energy here. It's electricity, hmm. electromagnetic, the body's electromagnetic. Yeah. So if you want to ask your spirit guides for help, you need to write it down and ask out loud because you have spiritual free will here. And so hmm. the process of writing cool. and, and that's, that's some out there stuff, which I like to get into. But <laughs> if you keep it basic, the way that the mind works, it's like a hamster wheel. You think that you're doing, you know, this great thinking and you're clear and, you know, you have it all sorted out. Yeah. You don't. You got to write it down. And the more you write it out and you flush it out as a practice, it's getting out of the mind on paper. And the body is the intelligence. Like your mind. Oh, hold on one second. My nephew's saying hi. That's all right. Hey, Arlo. Oh, and he's wearing a dress. <laughs> Does he want to join yeah. in? No, I'm sure he might have some answers to some of these questions got, as well. I, th- I think yeah. he's got some dancing to do. Well, <laughs> kids, kids are really great, um, you know, teachers. I think, mm. I think one of the elders too, because we went with the Mi'kmaq and the Zuni, and and one of them referenced like you know put put the elders out here, and the elders are the children because mm. they still are in wonder, and mm. they're not thinking about what do they look like, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Kids are the best teachers. And if we can embody that a little bit, and it makes me think of the Alan Watts quote, he's just like, when you realize you're going to die, death or life becomes deathly serious or a fun game. Hmm. And really it's your choice to decide what game you want to play. But everyone, I'm going to say everyone, but like if you look at the world, and that's a 90% are going to make it this big, serious game our big serious thing and you're going to die and, and, and everything's so serious. But when you have a near death experience or you do a shamanic death ritual, which sometimes I do that with my clients, um, and a heart hypnosis was, I think mm. it's a little bit better because it, your heart knows it's eternal, mm. but your consciousness, you got to recognize it can only handle such a small bit of information. Hmm. You know, if something, if you're out in the world and a tiger comes 
near you, right? And it's going to kill everybody. You're going to do some crazy parkour stuff and do something amazing. <laughs> yeah. And once you're safe, your consciousness will kick in and be like, what the heck was that? Yeah. That's the same thing. Your consciousness is just assessing threats, hmm. right? And hmm. so it's you're not even who you think you are. Hmm. It's this tiny little peanut thing. It's nothing, right? So rather than that's where you get into Zen and observing your reality. But from that state of um, freedom and understanding, you have more choice now. And freedom is choice. You know, and yeah, are there real world problems? Like we got to make money to pay the bills and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But do you go 95%, I got to pay the bills and life is serious and I love art and music or whatever this thing is, but I'm never going to do it because I don't have enough time and I'm going to just eat KFC and hate everything, right? Or do you try to put like 20% or even 10% in that bucket? And as long as you keep filling up the bucket of who you are, what you enjoy, um, how you want to contribute – how you want to uh, affect change in your community, you're going to feel better. And so it, it comes with a lot of sacrifice and it, and it is literally going against the grain and it's very challenging. Um, but you're your own meter in that. Nobody knows but you. Exactly. But you got to know if you're on yourself. Yeah, very true. Uh, for me, for me, that was something that I had to build up to because I was in a corporate job before uh, moving out here to Canada and I was working in, in tax. I was in accounting. I did a degree in accounting and finance. The furthest thing from following my bliss and doing what I love every single day. But it took me a year and a half to build up that courage to to take that leap and leave my job and, and not settle for this, this mediocre life where I wasn't living to my fullest potential every single day. And during this time, I realized that there are a lot of people out there that, that do settle, that do um, take the secure path. They even though I can see that there's there's a light in there that I can see the things that they're passionate about and they're not following. Um, and for me, it came down to, it, it came down to a few things. It, it was, it was courage for one of them. I think a lot of people, the, the courage isn't there yet to take the leap of faith, which is what I call it, which is you, you step into the unknown with faith and trust in something higher than yourself. And, and you know, and, and I, now I know when you do that, the universe or higher power or God, whatever, just rewards you. It gives you the opportunities you need. You know, these synchronicities start happening. All these things opened up when I stepped into this higher calling, even though I didn't know what was going to happen. So the courage muscle for me was something I had to build. I had to build over time through practicing meditation, practicing mindfulness, doing the Zen stuff, pulling away from from the mind and observing its, its conditioning. What advice do you have for people who who don't have the courage yet. In, they might be listening. They're in a corporate job maybe. That's what I was doing, man. I was in a corporate job listening to my podcast, tuning in to people who are inspiring me so I can build this courage. What do you want to say to these people, man? Because I was one of them about two years ago. Uh, well, the first thing that I'll say is that you are loved, that you are perfect, that you are whole, balanced, coherent, amazing, beautiful, just as you are right now. You don't need hmm. to change anything. Do your job. You're good. Hmm. Don't worry about it. It's all a process. Mm. And if there's something in you that wants to change something, remember that you have the power, ability, uh, help, support, knowing in you to change whatever you want over time and you can do it in your own time. Hmm. And if there's, and, and then you can get, you start walking the path because like, you know, for me in a very real way, I've been on this path for like, for like whole life, I'd say. And, um, you know, like becoming into adulthood, right. 20, when you start to get, how do I make money? I was like, how do yeah. I make a million dollars? Well, a million dollars to me just meant freedom. That's all I wanted. Hmm. And so I traveled the world in like 30. And then I remember last year, uh, is it last year summer? Yeah. I was like, I had to ask my parents for money as broke like, and I, I had to sell my car 
and I love my car. Um, mm. It's freedom to me. It's my symbol of freedom. It is freedom. I can get mm. around, you know what I mean? Go to the gym. I can go skateboarding, do those exactly. kind of things. And I just felt like the biggest failure ever. And I was like, why is this so hard? I don't understand. How can I be 33 and broke still and, mm. and do all this stuff? What the flying F? Mm. And so, you know, it's a process. Understand that life is a process. Just make it meaningful for you. But you do have the power and you do have the support. And, you know, it's all good no matter what you do. But the thing is, I can remember, you know, my um, former girlfriend and I, we were we were uh, in Sedona hiking and um, we basically got caught in this little section from following the, a guy up the wrong way and she's a little bit shorter than I am and I boosted her up. Mm. And when I did that, I, I kind of, I had my foot and then I moved it and I realized instantly when I made that move that I, we had really messed up bad. Mm. And so I almost freaked out and just tried It's a very flat rock, like a bowling ball and nothing to grab onto in Sedona. If you know Bell Rock, a lot of people know that's a pretty famous hike. And uh, we're in a bad spot and I had to get her down and, and basically I had to process my own death because I was like, oh my God, like do I sh- shoot up and, and so it's about 15 feet down to a really steep slant. Yeah. Um, and then it goes down for about 100 feet and then it drops off. But there'd be no way with the momentum in the fall because it was steep because I snowboard. So I got the grade and all that going yeah. on. I'm like, oh, this is not good. Um, so I had to process the death. And long story short, like she could, like I put my, I have to do a leap of faith literally because my foot where I had it, I, I couldn't see with that little tiny, tiny, I was on two really tiny things with my feet. Yeah. And, and luckily it caught. Then I had to get her down and she was terrified and she was looking out and I wanted her to slide on her stomach. But she went face forward her knees so her knees were going to poke and if I fell back, I was literally calculating in my mind that I would push her to the wall because I didn't want our karma to be – and I went through that. I was like, her parents are going to be real mad that I've killed their daughter. It's <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, this is not good. Oh, and so I was like, so I'm going to push her to the wall and I'm going to try to backflip out because if I just fall back, it's not going to be good. But if I launch off like a frog and do a laid out backflip, there's a chance that my, my I'll, I'll land flat. And then I knew that the minimum after that flat landing was going to be two mm. more backflips to how steep it was. And hopefully, again, I could stick it and land flat and fully commit. And so all this is going through my <laughs> mind as she slides down. And she slides, she hits me with her knee, and I basically got that teeter-totter thing on the edge. But I couldn't grab her to stick myself to the wall. So I literally had to kind of like – I went to like zero point and kind of was luckily got to the wall – we end up getting down and it's okay. Um, and we basically get to a safe spot. We both don't talk for a few minutes. <laughs> and then I was like, I just asked her, I was like, did you just process your death? She's like, yeah. And um, I was like, what did you think? And she and she's a beautiful, beautiful mm. human being. She's a kindergarten teacher, so genuine, kind, loving, supportive, incredible. Um, you know, the best teacher you could ever hope for. Mm. Um, but in the Canadian education system, you know, it's like it's not supportive. They run the teachers dry. They overwork them. I um, mean, you know, I never understood this until I dated one. But like mm. unsupport, you know, we need to put more support into educating our children. Like jeepers creepers, you know, obviously give Agreed. kids the best education mm-hmm. possible. Right. But I studied that, too. And it's a lot of indoctrination, a lot mm. of bullcrap. We have we have a huge opportunity to upgrade our education system. Um, so anyway, um, she goes, you know, I, I wish I had done a lot of stuff. That's what she said. I wish I had done a lot of stuff. And um, and she goes, what did you think? And I remember it. And it was honest. And like made me happy in a way after is I said, I guess my work is done. I guess my time here is done. I didn't have a regret. I didn't think like, Damn. Oh, I wish I didn't. Really? And that was, 
that was my honest thought. Wow. And and so I was like, cool, I know I'm on the right track. And that's wow. why a shamanic death ritual is really powerful. Um, I'm going to make a recording. So anybody who wants that, I'll make a recording for them. Mm. But all it does is it basically takes you through a hypnotic process of your death. Mm. And what it helps you – and I do a heart journey, which I think is even more powerful. I do both. But I think the heart journey is even more powerful because it's about your vision in life. Like you have a lifetime to build a vision that comes from your heart. Mm. And it takes a lifetime. Like when I was broke at 33 last Last year, I'm still fucking broke now. <laughs> God damn it! You know what I mean? Like, I think they asked me about the podcast. I was like, oh my god! I was like, you know, I'm just barely squeezing by. I was on a bicycle. Someone's talking about the podcast, and it got to like so many hits and views, and people all of a sudden equate that to money. I was like, bro, I'm bicycling an hour to train two hours of martial arts with a Native Same. American elder to bike an hour home in Maine. Like, I'm all in on this because that's my priority over the monetary gain of like what I'm learning now, holy, if you look at the gratitude for me being able to train with a native American elder for everything I had to live in this farmhouse, to be in North America and not in a war place to have food. Like I was super grateful. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? So it's the level, but I'm willing to sacrifice every luxury to do the thing in me that I know is my highest joy, service and contribution to others and my growth. And I'm willing to do that. Now, is it easy? And do I get pissed off and chapped up about it? Yeah, probably too much. But a, but a lot of times it's super great. Um, so and it'll work out. But it's that honest mirror because when you die, it's not. You know, mm. I love this analogy. And it's like when you die, it's your own mirror. You're you're God. You're the one looking at you. There's no nook and cranny where you don't know if you're being honest or dishonest, if you were being a dickhead or not. You know what yeah, I mean? Exactly. If you're that or were you afraid? And it is terrifying. I get that. Um, so that's your own honest mirror. And so when you start to do these leaps of faith and these things, you actually you have to act first, then the universe can respond. That's the only way it works. It does not mm. work the other way. And the same thing with your spirit guides and things like that. You act, you do that, then they can start to orchestrate things. What do you need? How can we help? Say it out loud, write it down, get a journal. But I like to say to people when I do talks at like Burning Man or seminars or whatever, that you got to give yourself a goal that you would not change if you had a million dollars a day every single day that would go your whole life. Like this Mm. goal won't change. So I have a lifetime. It's more of a direction. It's not like, oh, I dream of being a podcast host. It's just an expression of where mm. I am right now, which will m- morph into something later. Mm. You know, it's just, but right now that feels really aligned, you know, and there'll be a next thing that's really aligned. So, um, but I have a direction that feels empowering to me that I'm proud of, that I'm designing. And it just kind of unfolds that way. And I get to witness all of this incredible magic that happens through faith. It's like all in. Mm. all the time <laughs> yeah respect man thanks so much for sharing that on near-death experience that, that was super inspiring man um and i mean second one that yeah everest too freaking yeah shit i mean <laughs> maybe we can if we got time we can touch on that but i'm interested you mentioned the shamanic death ceremonies what what would be the like have you i'm going to bring up psychedelics uh, i'm not sure if you've tried any I'm i'm sure you probably have um, how does that compare to like, you know, say an ayahuasca experience or a mushroom trip where it's sort of, it's you sort of get a taste for that kind of afterlife when you do, um, well, I've never done ayahuasca, but I've heard stories about people who have done it. Is it the similar sort of thing? Is it sort of like facing your own death in, in, in its own way? Yeah. So the shamanic death ritual is definitely facing your, that's the idea. And it's, yeah. and it's through like a hypnotic process. So yeah. there's feeling. Um, so I have experimented with mushrooms LSD, 
and ayahuasca. I've done ayahuasca eight times. Um, mm. Now, what I would recommend is, and then from the elder, the elder told me not to do psychedelics anymore. And I know that there's a lot of value in people who have done them. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of good research out there that shows they can be very empowering experiences. I am a very firm advocate. If you want to do it, do it with the utmost respect and understanding. Do it with somebody who's done it before. Um, and they can be very empowering experiences. But I think it was uh, either maybe Ram Das or Alan Watts, one of those guys. They said, you know, psychedelic um, basically um, – was it – how's he worded? It's just like um, – they're like opening the door or something, but are knocking on the door. But once it's opened, you don't need to keep going there. Hmm. The door is open like hmm. you see. And hmm. so I know when I'm aligned, I get the idea. But when you're kind of lost in Maya or the illusion, and you're like, I don't even know who I am or what I like. Well, we'll start writing that down. Who are you? What do you like? What are your passions? What what about the world bugs you? What do you want to improve? What do you want to learn? What do you want to experience while you're alive? Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, ayahuasca is a whole different animal in itself. And it will – it will, yeah, basically, um, you know, you'll go through a very <laughs> sometimes traumatic death experience. Um, you know, it's a whole nother level up on, on mushrooms. Ayahuasca is something else. And, uh, if you're considering do that, make sure you get a really good shaman. Um, mm. cause not all shamans are the same. There's a lot of baloney going on with that now. Yeah. Um, so again, just make sure you know what you're doing. Um, but a, an extremely powerful experience. It's changed a lot of people's lives, but I also see the side of it where people get that glimpse and, one on side one, they become these like spiritual enlightened masters, which they're not yet. They, they got, they saw the window, right. Which they had never seen before. So it's a whole thing. That's good. We want that. That's great. Um, and the other side is they don't implement because the seeing it and taking the psychedelic and knowing what you got to do is easy. Mm. Oh man, I know that like I'm super passionate about music and I want to start exploring that. Great. Now, how do you start doing that on a daily basis when you got bills to pay and you got problems and you got baby yelling at you or whatever, right? There yeah. we go. Now, now you're in it, baby. <laughs> how do you figure that out? I don't know. <laughs> so that's kind of like what I'm figuring it out, you know, when I'm face down on the floor and be like, how do I do this? Like I'm trying to do the podcast. I'm trying to make money and travel, like just, you know, just so I can get around. I had to sell my car, you know, I just want to cry. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So there's about ba- whatever your balance is, but you're, you're testing what you're capable of. And I think that people are way more capable than they give themselves credit for. Mm. And it all stems around on their self-worth and their self-love and their community. So um, just, you know, if I could give one piece of advice, it'd be like make the firm commitment to be as kind and compassionate to yourself as possible, making that firm commitment now. No matter what you go through in your life, be just kind and compassionate and like analyze your beliefs, you know, because your beliefs are going to set the bar. If you believe you can make 20 grand a year, if you believe you can make it in music, and it might not even be like with snowboarding, you know, I snowboarded because I loved it. I didn't become a press professional snowboarder i became sponsored which is great but no very few professional snowboarders make a living from that and even if they do it's not like a great living you know they're just they snowboard all the time so Mm -hmm. um but what it does is it gives you opportunity for that next step if it's an aligned step Mm. you know and it gives you experience in something that you value and then you'll take that experience to the next step um so it's blocked by block brick by brick you know i'm 34 like where will i be at 44 who knows mm. you know holy crap who even knows that's wow and so you that's know, the best be part right time. not knowing yeah i love that yeah mm. but it'll be building it yourself on your bricks and you'll have mm. the skill set to take you to the next level mm. i guess that's one of the main roadblocks people have is is they first think how can i make money out of this or it's like i remember when i was at school i didn't pursue my passions because 
I didn't think I could make money out of, I was passionate for exercise and health and wellness. I was like, oh, there's no money in that. I can't follow that. So I did business and accounting. And it wasn't until later on that I realized that, like you said, you build on those blocks first that wherever your heart's taking you and if you follow that, money will work itself out as long as you're rich in the right areas, right? You're rich in, in, you're rich in love, in peace. And that all that stuff can be cultivated in the present moment. The minute I realized that, it was like everything that I want, I already have. And if you can cultivate it now, then you've already won the game. Everything else is just secondary. Uh, and that was that was such a key realization for me. And that's, I guess that's what gave me the courage to leave my job was when I started cultivating emotional states that such as, such as abundance and love and, and joy and elevated states of emotions where I was doing it in my meditation. And that and that that was just that that element of faith and trust that I developed, which you've got. I guess you just live it already. You've already been living it. But people like for me who are transitioning, we're transitioning from corporate jobs. We're transitioning from this way of thinking that you don't need to struggle hard. You don't need just follow your bliss, follow what you're passionate about, and, and you build on that. And you keep and you keep opening up opportunities and doors. Uh, I brought up meditation in that man, and I know you're you're an avid meditator. You've obviously you've been out and trained with meditation masters in Tibet. Like, what have you taken away from that? I've spoken a lot about meditation on this podcast because it impacted me so much. Um, I've actually I started meditating two hours a day. Went sort of like urban monk. I've never actually gone out and been in a, in a monastery or anything like that. But I've done urban monk style here, and, and it was it was profound. The shifts that started happening. Uh, I want to hear about your experience. Like, what was it like meditating with these these monks, man? If uh, what did you take away from that coming back? Well, uh, well, what I wanted to say is a good, another good question mm-hmm. uh, on the the piece of of what you're talking about of cultivating that that peace and abundance where you are. That's that's the number one thing, and one of the things I learned this summer from the Native American elder when I was having a rough time because I had a I had to bike like an hour and 40 minutes to his mm. house. You know, I, I love a car. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> I'm in it. You know what I mean? I had yeah, a bike. Man. I like, God, in the yeah. middle of it's hot and there's black flies out there, man. Yeah, I was like, this shit. is ridiculous, man. That's a test, man. That's you know a what test. I mean? Yeah. yeah. I was like, come on. Like, what is going on? That's like, yeah. um, and he, and he looks, looks at me and like, he, this guy is a spiritual master. You know, he goes, yeah. he's like, he's like, Matt. I was like, yeah. He's like, have you ever been hungry? And I was like, no. I was like, have you ever not had a roof over your head? I said, no. He's like, can you be content? I was like, ah, I I guess, you know, and it's, Mm. and it's so true. Um, he even was at the point last year, uh, the year winter before he was homeless in Maine and, uh, he can, he can go back to, to, you know, his elders told him, you know, like to go share this with the non-natives. Um, he's been doing it for five years and it's been really challenging. He can go back whenever he wants. Yeah. You know, but he's honoring what he told them he would do. So that meant him being homeless mm. in a car <laughs> and being their spiritual master who's yeah. revered in that community. Mm-hmm. So how nuts is that? Right. And so, you know, it's I was looking at what I didn't have. Right. Oh, I don't have a car. You know, well, you deserve a car. Why do you, you know, you can want a car and I can aspire to a car. But could it what a, what if I didn't have my legs and I didn't get the the joy of bicycling an hour and 40 minutes? People would – some people without their legs or eyesight or would just be like, oh my god, like I, what I would give to do that, right? So from one perspective, 
you know, I'm like, oh my God, I could be in a car. From another perspective, like, oh, I'm in a shitty car. You know, from another one, it's like, oh, and then where's that line? Oh, I'm only in a Lexus. I wish I was in a, you know, Bentley. And just like, and then I'm, I'm like, oh, well, I wish I was in a car. And then someone's like, you know, man, I wish my legs worked so I could bike. You know, I wish I, I wish I was in a war torn country. And so, you know, it's, that's true and that's honest. Mm. You know, and so can we learn the art of being content with where we are? Because, um, you know, when you're how old are you? Twenty four. Yeah. So when you're twenty four, it's mm. just like you know you got to get everything then, right? I'm thirty four, so literally a you know ten year gap. And yeah. so if you die in six months or two years, it's like did you need to have all the business filled out, mm. right? What was important as you navigated that? Mm. Now that I'm thirty four. What was important to me when I'm 44, when I'm 54, it doesn't matter what the that thing is. There will always be a reason f- to not be content and there will always be an opportunity and a way to find contentment with what you have, with where you are in that moment. And usually it's focusing on what you have and not what you don't have. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to um, yeah, add that you, in man. there. It's like the gratitude piece, right? Like gratitude is that state of like receivership. It's like the already having, it's the energy that you put out that I already have this like i'm grateful it's the universe doesn't know the difference between you being grateful for something you do have and something you don't have it's the same energetic state right so i yeah gratitude was was massive man i'm cultivating gratitude every single day it's something i try to do obviously there's days you miss it but like it's such a a fundamental way to start your day and try to incorporate all the time it's like obviously (laughs) that's a true test to do it when you're riding for an hour and a half hour and 40 minutes on a bike to try and be grateful that's a test um, it's easy for me in a, in a city where I've got like, like I've got nice transport to work. It's, it's cool, man. I got lots to be grateful for, but that's a test and, and respect. That's, that's cool. That you're, you're living that. Yeah. Thank Well, I didn't mm. always pass that test. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> and that's, you know, that's part of it too. You know what I mean? Like you just being easy on yourself like all the time, but you know, there's learning there and it's like the mm. same with the psychedelic thing or an ayahuasca thing, your mm. eyes can be opened up, but then can you live that test the next day? Mm. Can you live with a little bit more peace and a little bit har- more harmony? Um, so we're always going to have an opportunity to be content with where we are and we're always going to want more. But you know, the way that the mind works is it's built on three, threats and if we don't have money we can't um get food and then we're going to die so we can be stuck in this perpetual state of stress mm. and so when we begin to recognize that and come and stop that thinking just give ourselves a step back come back to three deep breaths focus on something you're grateful for that's your choice that's your spiritual free will you can choose that focus you can choose uh on purple rhinoceros or you can think about pink um, flying unicorn, wherever you put that thoughts, where you're going to go or, you know, skateboard spaceship, right? It's just a focus and you can stay on each of those, right? So you get to command that focus and that's the most important part. And to speak on meditation, what meditation teaches you is that you are not your thoughts. And the analogy that I use is that your mind and your identity, like ego is just who you think you are at that time. You know, it's not, it's not a bad thing. You have to have ego because like, you know, it keeps you safe. It, you know, if I cross the street, it'll make sure I don't mm. um, die, you know, and mm. it, it likes my preferences. You know, do I want to go skateboarding today or do I want to go do this thing? Well, my, I, I enjoy this. That's okay. Mm. Right. But you can kind of take it too far and you know, that's the whole thing. So it's not bad to have ego. Just 90% of us take it way too far and, do weird stuff with it. Yeah. Um, so you have this like say bowling ball in your mind, right? And that's your mind, your consciousness, your ego, and your thoughts are like this glue. And so the second that I say you're a loser, right? 
glue hits the bowl or glue let's say honey honey is a better analogy mm-hmm. um honey hits the bowling ball and then it sticks there and then what it does is it goes down that bowling ball down to the slide of all of this reasoning thought story projecting on that person baloney blah 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 another thought comes in it's like oh my god maybe i won't be able to pay my bills another piece of honey comes in sticks on the bowling ball and the thing is we're unable to separate from the honey hmm. but when hmm. you learn how to meditate you just wipe it clean and then you're good you don't attach to that idea and that's freedom. That's a that's a that's a huge consciousness shift. Yeah. It's just like, hey Matt, you're a loser. You know, that's you know, it, it, like, oh man, like that kind of hurts for a second because I'm identified with not being a loser. I'm identified with ideally my podcast doesn't suck. Ideally my <laughs> my book is decent. You know, your book sucks. Oh man, you know what I mean? It hurts my feelings for a second. And there's the there's the hunting on my bowling ball, my identity. And then I'm like, okay, cool. Let's take three deep breaths. Step back. Cool. I don't need to identify with that idea. That's a thought. Yeah. Right. So that is the essence. And you do not need to travel the world to become a Zen master. What I learned from meditating with monks was it was the exact same thing with meditating with not monks. With the caveat of being with Tibetan monks in Nepal in a group doing chanting was incredible. Like they do these chanting and these like deep, vibrational sounds Mm. and I went to like the world peace stupa and the resonance of whatever that is, is such an experience and it goes through like all of your cells of your body. It's super intense um, and incredible and profound and beautiful. And the idea is that you can have that in your home. And, um, the idea is just to practice. You don't, you don't just meditate and not have thoughts. If you have a practice of meditation, you're going to get different experiences. Um, but you don't need to meditate, you know, honestly, like if you, I think it's a valuable practice and I think most people should definitely do that to get to the bowling ball. (laughs) Yeah. Not a hundred percent mandatory, but don't not like try it out for a week. You know, like in the book, I give like the simple guide to meditation. I'll give it here. It's the easiest thing to ever start meditating. Day one, meditate for one minute. Day two, two minutes. Day three, three minutes, and so on until 10 minutes, 10 Mm. days. (laughs) Do that, right? Because you're going to, when you sit down for a minute, Mm. you're going to keep thinking. That's part of it. You know, that's literally part of it. But over time, you watch the reel of your mind go over and over and over. And then eventually you learn not to, you learn how to wipe the bowling ball and let the thought go. Mm. Oh, okay. You know, you just, and that's the process. That's the idea is just to kind of observe the thought. So you don't, People don't go into meditative states and like think nothing and get all blissed out. It's just a process of observing their thoughts. And once they kind of have a cleaner mind and a cleaner life and, and you know, they're congruent with their values and all that kind of stuff, there's less noise that needs to come up because there's less confusion with how they're living their lives and how they're reconciling in their mind um, their belief systems and values and, you know, who they know to be. And they're living more of that rather than who they, you know, feeling trapped in the mind. And that's what happens. The mind gets clouded and confused and it gets on this treadmill of thoughts. And we're in the state of confusion. We're essentially in the state of hypnosis. You know, people wake up, their alarm goes off and they, you know, they, they go grab a coffee and they, you know, rush, they get ready to go to work and they stress out about what's about to happen at work. Then they get to work and they say hi to a few people. And then they, you know, go thing and they're on this treadmill, get home and, you know, they make some food, they do whatever they do, watch some freaking America's Got Talent or something, mm-hmm. and go to bed and they're stuck in this process. And Rinse, repeat, like right? It's stuck in the past, no essentially. Escape. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so that's a, that's a hard thing to break. And, and what the best thing that I've found to uh, break that kind of thing is just do a, do a two day fast. It's actually not that hard. Just do two days. Um, just do a two day fast, see what it does to your thinking and come back. But you got to break pattern, drive a new way home. Mm. Never drive the same way. Always take a new path because it literally creates new experiences, new synapses. It's like you're in the matrix. Mm. And if you start going to these new streets and connections, you're having new experiences. Mm. It might seem subtle and and inconsequential. It's actually massive. Mm. And I'll give you an example that there's this uh, a woman that my sister works with is her boss. And she's really high up in an organization in Vancouver. And she goes – I cannot believe you just said that to me because I was talking to her and she's really stressed out, very successful, but not in a good way. She goes, I was like, why? She's like, I moved recently and I would literally drive out of my way and get stuck in 20, 30 minutes of traffic some days to drive the exact same route that I did when I lived in my old house. Bullshit. That's how bad it can get because you are stuck in a neuro, uh, like neurosynaptic slide. And I didn't know it could get that bad. Neither. I was like, oh, no, that's I was crazy. Like, oh my God. And so same thing, boom, boom, you got to break that cycle. Go to a different restaurant, take a new way home, uh, do one activity, just do anything different and try to keep that persistent because now you're creating new connections and you're breaking those patterns. And so if you're stuck, um, you know, just do anything different. Yeah, man, that's great. That's great advice. That's like, I'm all about like actionable advice, getting people to take purposeful action because they can listen to podcasts and read books. You can read all the books you want, but unless you're taking action on the stuff that you're reading or listening to, it doesn't. Nothing's going to change. So, like, thank you for that because that's that's a very simple thing that people can do. That small action, but it's going to produce a pretty massive change shift, whether you realize it or not. Um, same thing with that's what meditation is, right? Is this, instead of getting up and going through your normal routine, sit your ass down and do 10 minutes of meditation every morning to break that cycle is a small action that is producing massive, a massive impact on, on, on your, your consciousness essentially. So thank you. Yeah. And the, and the, and the meditation in the morning, that 10 minutes gives Mm. you a little bit of space before Mm. that thing turns on, right? Because that alarm clock goes off, they go right into the pattern Mm gives you that little bit of space yeah and if you don't think you have the time what do they say if you don't have the time to meditate for 10 minutes meditate for an hour <laughs> i love that <laughs> great quote you know? yeah yeah man it was so what's your practice like now are you, you still meditating consistently or have you found that you you don't need it um i wouldn't say i don't need it i just mm. say I, I i go through spurts you know i like i i meditated you know for most of the day for three or four, when we're talking about Australia in koala habitat. Yeah. So I've done huge sits and I think that it's always valuable, but it's kind of like going to the gym for me. But, um, uh, it's like, you know, what is his name? Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger did transcendental meditation every day for a year and then stopped. Yeah. So that's cause you recognize the bowling ball. Now are there degrees and should I meditate? I don't know, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I feel like my, my mind scattered, I love the different practices. Um, what I've been experiment the last so the last year I went a lot into breath work, mm. um, so I I like to experiment with different things to see the result that I get. Um, so and then another so one of the meditations now is playing the flute. Um, so it's cool. breath and it's music. So you know snowboarding is meditation to me. You can make washing the dishes meditation as long as you go into washing the dishes or doing health work housework with the intention. Yeah. To be aware of what you're doing. That's all it is. is you could do a walking meditation. Hmm. Um, you could do a driving meditation. Hmm. And so because I've explored all these different avenues, I'll make sure that it's integrated in some of those things. And yes, I still 
um, sit down, but I was meditating, you know, between one and two hours a day for, you know, I would say a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, now I don't have that level of practice. Now I'm like, okay, you know, I'm going to get up and I'm going to work. You know, this is a time for me to create content. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my time to do that. Yeah. And I also, I know what that story is like and I'll go back to it. And is it maybe should I be meditating? I don't know, but I think, um, I try, I like to try other things too. Yeah. Each to their own, I guess. Hey, it's finding what practice works for you and there's no one size fits all. I mean, I have a specific form of meditation that I do, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for everyone else as well. So it's for, for a lot of people, just going to the gym, sort of like a meditation. I think uh, that's what Arnold did, put his, put his uh, attention in the muscle that he's working and that in itself is present moment awareness on the body. And that, that's meditation in a nutshell. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I would, I would, I would just say those to those guys, like I've been in these practices for a long time. I was doing mm-hmm. them when I was like, you know, in my teens. And so if you're, like you said, you're not used to them, you're in the corporate thing, you're out in the world. Mm-hmm. What I'd recommend that how Elrod has a miracle morning, which is really good. I think it's like wake up and then you journal mm-hmm. affirmations, um, meditation and, uh, what are the other ones? Exercise. And there's one other one. So w- what mine is a simple one is wake up, just do five, even five minutes of meditation, mm. gratitude, journal, affirmations. And and if you can do a little bit of exercise, just rip off some push-ups, some sit-ups, some jumping jacks or whatever, yeah. that, even use any of those, I would highly recommend that process. That is a very, very empowering process. You know, a lot of the time I'll max it out and like train somewhere full time. And, you know, like I'll do an hour of meditation, snowboard and train gymnastics. It's all similar to that. But if you just need a little tiny practice, those are the core elements Gratitude, uh, mindfulness, just observing your thoughts, uh, affirmations or visualizations, something like that, and uh, a little bit of exercise. Got to get exercise in somewhere at some time, and those are the key elements. You know, do a little run or something. But that's that's the core. If you do, if you're not doing any of those, mm. you start doing all of those every day. You will experience a massive shift mm. very fast. Yeah, big time. Getting that morning routine down, Pat is yeah, super key. Um, yeah, so bang on, man. Uh, I want to be mindful of your time, bro. It's uh, it's getting late. Uh, ten ten thirty here. I think you're. What are you? You're seven thirty. How long have you got? Seven thirty. Oh, uh, yeah, I could do like a, about another ten minutes. Yeah, cool. Well, I'll, I'll ask one more question. Uh, I was actually on the on the commute home today. I was gifted a book today. It's called the uh, the the Capillon, uh, the study of Hermetic philosophy. I don't know if you've read that book before. Oh, you're talking about the Kybalion. That's the one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I have I. I had an experience with Thoth that I put online. Um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's the same book, I'm, or if I'm pretty sure I listened to it on audiobook. Yeah, yes, I, don't I know did. If you, if you can see that, but that's that's what it is. Um, yeah, could, I've listened to it on audiobook, but I'm not an expert in that. Mm. I know that it's a huge uh, field and people yeah. love it, and I think there's a lot of valuable uh, stuff in there. But I've been through so much like esoteric and gnostic stuff. I'm like, <laughs> okay, wait, which which is it? My brain doesn't remember. Like some people all podcast, they yeah. remember everything so well, and I'm just like, wait, which one? Which one was this? What the heck are we talking about? But I just yeah, I pulled it up. It's really good. They talk about um, the physical plane, the mental plane, the spiritual the plane. Yeah. Uh, the principle of vibration, the principle of polarity, the principle of rhythm, cause and effect, which makes sense. Um, even the principle of gender, which is interesting. Mm. Um, so, have you been through it yet? Uh, I was, I was just flicking through it on the on the way home, and it was it was engaging me. So I, I thought I'd bring it up because a few things that that jumped out. So, have you read it? I I think I I went I listened to the audiobook years yeah. ago. Yeah, 
Right. Um, yeah, great read. So far, so good anyway. Um, but there was a particular quote that like that came out just in the early, the first few pages, and I, and I liked it. I thought I'd, I'd put it out to you. And the quote was, Where fall the footsteps of the master, the ears of those ready for his teachings open wide. Uh, and I'm going to assume the people who are listening to this podcast, the people that listen to your podcast, are the people whose ears are starting to open wide. Um, I'm going to say you're a master, man, based on the research I've done into you and the stuff that you are living, you're living the master's way. So if people are, are opening their ears and now listening to you, what do you want to leave them with at the end of the podcast, man? If people, this is their first time they've listened to you and they're, they're, they're eager to learn, they're ready, they've found, their, they've found a master, what do you want to share with them? What are the takeaway? Well, well, first of all, I'm humbled and honored at uh, such a beautiful compliment. I appreciate that. And I think maybe for me it's like the perfect timing to receive something like that because I just wrote an article about how to be a spiritual master. Hmm. And, um, and, and not in the sense – and it's good because – you know, how do I receive something like that? Like, you know, like in my mind, you know, it's like, how do I receive that? Like, you know, when I got back from Burning Man, um, you know, they call it the decompression and I didn't yeah. do it well. I, I drank more days than I should have. You know, <laughs> I'm still a human being. I'm flawed as can be. Yeah. You know, I am very human. I am messed up in all these types of ways. So, so to be received that way through the stuff that I've done, it, it's an honor. And it's very important to, you know, address to people that even like Osho and stuff like that, like they were, Osho was a heavy drinker in wine mm, and a mm. lot of, uh, oh, oh, same with Rumi. If you ever read Rumi's stuff, Rumi really? is he was a drinker. brilliant. Oh, shit. Yeah, there's one of his poems. Oh, shit. He goes, <laughs> he goes, uh, uh, as my friend brought it up because we had a discussion years ago, my best friend, he goes, you know, Rumi, one of his poems, he says like writing something amazing. He goes, I must stop now because I'm too drunk from the wine. <laughs> oh, <or something>. <laughs> so, so, oh, you know, shit. I do think that these masters like Yogananda, um, I think that Krishnamurti was a master. I think that Alan Watts, uh, you know, he actually struggled too. He was mm -hmm. a master. And, um, so they're there and, you know, there's, there's levels far beyond what, what I've, what I'm doing. Mm. Um, but it, it's like, a, it's like, that's like a hard thing to receive, but I think it's such a beautiful, um, idea that we're all flawed and to uh, allow that. And the ways that I can accept being a master is pursuing, um, what I find meaningful, mm -hmm. pursuing and learning in the things that I'm inspired to do. And so in doing those things, I, I feel like I'm a master in those things. Um, because I can, you know, when that mirror comes up, I know that I'm doing that and that's cool, but it doesn't mean that like it's all rain, rainbow and, and, uh, unicorns a lot of it. Most of the times it's not, it's really challenging. It's really hard to walk this path. Um, but you know, when I wrote that article, um, when I studied with the native American elder all summer, he really helped me level up and he's a master. That is a master, you know, and even him though, he, you know, he's the one who kind of really reassured that he's just like, yeah, this is like who I am. I got taught by 600 elders. I'm the sage and I represent 39 native American councils. You know, I'm the seer and hearer of spirit. I'm a scientist. Like he's intense, but he's like, I struggle. I get frustrated, you know, mm. I'm, you know, it's a part of this human experience. It's not when I looked at enlightenment, I thought it was going to float around on a cloud and have it all put together. I, I don't, I think mm. it's possible still, but mm. you know, accepting our flaws and our limitations and being kind to ourselves anyway is a big thing, but pursuing, uh, what we love. Um, anyway, I'm rambling because 
the the thing that he taught me that really stuck was like you know I wrote an article and it's called how to become a spiritual master in a day, and at the beginning I say you know this this statement is as bold as it is true, to become a spiritual master in a day do three kind actions and don't tell anybody about it go hmm. out of your way to do it. Damn. That's it. I like that, and man. so if you, if you want to be a spiritual master, that is literally all you have to do because it doesn't matter what you think, uh, how many hours you meditated, uh, how, how aligned your chakras are, um, what books you've read, what church you go to, what God you believe in, um, what practices you've done, how sweet your yoga poses look, you know, when spiritual mastery is through action and your know, mother Teresa just continuously made that action, right? It's continuously showing up. And your days when you can't do it, when you feel uninspired, where you need help, where you feel like a loser, where you know you maybe drink too much or you fail or whatever, but you keep showing up. And so, you know, to redefine your idea of perfection and how um, hard you are on yourself, but to show up and do three kind actions for someone else and not expect anything in your return, to go out of your way to do it, um, that's the big key is to take action. And so it could be to get somebody's name, to hold a door open, to pick up a piece of trash, to say a kind word, um, you know, to take care of your body, to be kind to yourself. You know, that, that to me really is spiritual mastery. And, um, you know, I, I do my best to do that. And since studying with the Native American elder, I can say in six months, I've done more actual kind actions for people in the world than I had before. And I consider myself to be a kind and compassionate person. Um, but in showing up in action, you know, you could see that homeless person and you could think in your mind to give them two bucks and you could actually go over there and do it. You could see an old lady that needs help crossing the street and you could actually go do it. You could hold that door open. You could, you could beep at that person in traffic. Um, so it is in the action where there is mastery because otherwise it's just in your mind and it's not out in this physical reality. And I challenge, um, anybody to do three kind acts a day, go out of your way to do it. And I think there's a very high chance you're going to get what I call a spiritual wink universe, universal wink. And something weird will happen to you where you're like, Oh my God, that was for me. That was like the universe being like, there you go. doesn't matter, you know, because I've studied the philosophies, Zen books, you know, everything like that. And I still am, you know, hermeticism, like when you, like I've gone through the Emerald Tablets. Those are cool. I still love exploring all that. But nothing trumps the truth of actual action, mm. you know. Mm. Selfless service. There's something about that. I don't know. It's, it's, it's the way you feel afterwards when you, when you do something for someone and you do it from the kindness of your heart and you don't expect anything in return, there's something about it, man. Even if you just give a bit of money to the homeless, I don't know, I do. Whenever I do that, there is just this feeling that I have. I feel good. And it must, maybe it goes back to the law of attraction stuff. It's just it, when you feel good all the time, that's when amazing things start to happen. And when you serve others, it's like that's like the cocaine for feeling good. <laughs> it's, it's fucking awesome. So, man, great. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was, that was awesome. And... um yeah, well, I was going to add too, when you when you give money to a homeless person, and mm. this is another one with that I got uh, taught was uh, mm. get their name and shake their hand. Damn. Most yeah. most people most people will give them a buck and not look at them. Mm. Stop, look them in the eyes, shake their hands, see mm. how they're going. And you know, to give a little bit of an out there thought, uh, you know, David Lonebear is a Mi'kmaq, and mm. we were in Sedona with the Zuni elder. The mm. Zuni elder refers to the sky people. The Mi'kmaq refers to 
the star people. They're in both of their lineages. They're 20,000 years old. They're oral teachings and they're unbroken for 20,000 years. No book burnings, no Jeez. wars waged, nothing. It tra- it's way older than the Bible. It's way older than all that stuff. And if you look at indigenous cultures around the world, which I have, I went to Egypt with, you know, physicists, uh, you know, aerospace engineers, mm. <laughs> astrophysicists, you know, mm. um, just really wild stuff. And, um, and so they speak about this, and one of the things that David told me once was he goes, do you know a lot of your homeless are star people? I was like, what do you mean? He's just like, well, if people were going to come here and, and have a look at your species and, and things, where do you think they would go? Hmm. He's just like, they want to see which of you are compassionate. Hmm. And so and, and when he said that, when I got back to Canada after I had two really weird experiences I won't elaborate on, but one was with my mom. And uh, one was with my sister. And so, you know, it's interesting. But to but even beyond that, it's like to bring the humanity back, right? Don't don't look at the homeless. Don't don't look at that thing. And that's what a spiritual master would do, right? You look at, you know, these people going around and being spiritual teachers here and there, but but the real spiritual master is stopping and they're helping. Hmm. And that's just true. It's just, you know, it just makes sense. You know? Every time he speaks, he says, Go, please go out and give a dollar to your homeless. Hmm. You know, and he's like, he's like, every time I would say maybe five percent of the audience actually does that. Yeah, you know, that's powerful man, that's super powerful. Like, and even even if you don't have money on you and you walk past someone homeless, it, one of the best things you can give someone is just your attention. Just sit sit down and shake their hand. It's like, how's your day going, man? You know, I, I try and do that as much as I can because I sometimes don't carry cash on me, but just the art of giving someone your undivided attention for a few minutes is is, is actually quite powerful in itself. It's an exchange of energy that sometimes that might change someone's day. Um, so it's not just monetary. It can be. Uh, mm. Yeah, 100%. And I can say that before that, that teaching, when I went to, you know, I would give homeless like a dollar mm. or, you know, if I had a dollar set up real perfect at the drop off of what they are, I would give him that buck, right? Mm. Now, like he's like one of the one of the star teachings is go out of your way to do it. So I'd see a homeless and I'd stop and I'd turn around and I'd have to go chase them down, give them five bucks or sometimes 20 bucks. I can say I have more money now. Hmm. Like when I was giving this stuff away, I can't – people will talk about being broke. Like, you know, that's fine. Like I – very, you know, when I went down to the States, I had, I have a huge $28,000 loan that's toast. Yeah. I was up to 40, 4,800 bucks on my credit card. That was the last accessible money that I could have. And I ended up getting five grand, uh, three days later at 4,800 of last accessible oh, money. When I, when I went all in to go to the States to study with this elder, I didn't know where I was going. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how I was going to get a place I because I've done leaps of faith before so I was like all right here we go you know did it and and I got you know I was taken care of and so mm-hmm. in giving you know in giving this money to the homeless I started to give more and more and more I've ac- I actually have more abundance than mm-hmm. I used to so you know if you think you don't have enough trust me where my account was mm-hmm. when I was started to do this I don't think you could get any worse like there it was pretty rough Um, and so, you know, it's that idea. And if you think about being in an electromagnetic universe and money is currency, it's current. Mm. If you're holding on to five bucks with all of your might, Mm. you know, the universe cannot give you more energy and currency to flow because it's not flowing through you. There's a clog in the system. Mm. And so that's kind of like a metaphysical way to think about it. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. Um, so I can say that that's my experience, you know, don't give them 
you know, all your dough, but you know, you can maybe think about being a little bit more generous and just chipping in where you can and going out of your way. And then, and then, you know, saying hello, getting their name, being a human about it. And, uh, you know, it it just makes sense. That just sounds true. It just, you know, you don't need to be, you know, meditate in Nepal for 20 years and be in a cave to go do that, you know? Mm. And if the person who did that and you were walking down the street and you stopped and you helped, you're the spiritual master. No, you know, credentials or piece of paper or thing, you know, beyond that. Yeah. Beautiful, man. Thank you. That's, that's, that's on point uh, and a great way to, to, to finish up here. So I feel like inspired and empowered now. So I'm going to be finding that first homeless person I see tomorrow. I'm going to give him, give him a big hug. <laughs> so mate, uh, before we sign off, where, uh, where can people find you? Where do you want people to connect with you online? Oh, well, first of all, thanks for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. It was a good time. Great interviewer. And uh, thanks for taking the plunge and, you know, moving towards something that inspires you. So I'm sending all of my uh, encouragement and support to, you know, go through that. You know, I kind of equate it as, you know, you're on a boat Mm. and then, you know, that boat is nice and safe in the corporate world or whatever that nice path is. But you see the open sea and what inspires you. So having the courage to go that way, you have uh, my my respect thank you brother honor and encouragement to do that and uh, if people want to find out more about me they can go to mattbelair.com they can also go to zenathlete.com i'm happy to gift out ebooks to whoever just send me an email and put a link to the say hey i heard you on this broadcast i'll send it for free any coaches yoga teachers athletes Mm -hmm. um you know i'm happy to gift out ebooks all over the place to get this in the hands of youth and i also have a um, heart journey hypnosis um, and it basically hypnotizes you into your heart to discover your life's purpose. And I've done this with multimillionaires, athletes, um, regular Joes. And what it does is it helps give you a clear direction because it's not about your purpose as this one little tiny goal. It's a, it's a direction. And you feel that now moving in that direction that inspires you because it's now you're in the weeds. You, you know, you're mm. moving that way. But over time, it gets more clear and more clear. And now you're operating in the spiritual realm of yourself, of being proud of who you are, being um, – you know, excited about life, you know, having meaning for you. And this is the most powerful process that I've discovered and seeking processes that elicit this. Um, and it's free. You can have it as a gift and, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll help you get a little bit more, you know, clear the fuzz and the illusion, uh, which is in the mind, which is looking mm-hmm. for survival. How do I make money? It kind of calms that for a second. And then it brings up the power and the intelligence of the heart, which is eternal it knows you always exist and this is you're in a simulation even if you lost your job and you were homeless mm. you would still eat and be fine and then you would get a job and you, you know what i mean it's not that bad sure you know it's, you're <laughs> fine right so um so the heart knows that and will give you that courage and that power and that intelligence you need that little spark to boost you in a more empowering direction yeah i'll link that stuff up in the show notes as well so if you guys want to look uh, find that i'll um have it on the page the podcast page mate Thanks again. Uh, thanks so much. Really appreciate your time. And I've, I've taken so much away from this this chat and I'm sure the listeners will as well. So uh, until next time, my friend. Thank you, Jordan. Have a good one. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Guys, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the podcast. Uh, it really means a lot to me knowing that you're choosing this type of content. And, you know, if there's one thing I can leave you with as you take off for the rest of your day is is two calls of actions for you. Um, one of the calls of actions that I've been trying to do recently every single day is, is, is do one act of kindness. Um, I mean, if you can do more than one act, that's perfect. But start with one. Try and just do something kind for someone else. And, you know, pay pay for someone's coffee ahead of you or just open the door for someone, hold the door open for someone when they're walking by. Um, these little acts of kindness can really go a long way and it actually improves the way you feel and also improves the way someone else feels. And that kind of 
stems on throughout the throughout the day. So try and do that. Find something kind to do for someone else. Um, here's one opportunity for you to do some act of kindness is go ahead and uh, leave some feedback on the podcast on iTunes, leave a rating or review. Or if you're feeling extra special, share this with someone else uh, to try and help someone else out on their journey. Uh, and that will mean a lot for me, it will mean a lot for other people. And it's going to mean a lot for you because the more acts of kindness we do, we spread the love. So thank you so much for joining me and I'll see you in the next episode.